What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. As we celebrate Easter, we wrap up our series called Why Mark? We are wrestling with a big question here. Why did the writer of the Gospel of Mark end the story of Jesus with the resurrection, but no resurrection appearances? Why did Jesus never show up at the end? It's a great question to be asking on Easter, and the Reverend David Wiley, a former pastor here at Grace, has been our guide on this question. So let me catch up those who may have missed the last couple of weeks. We first saw how Jesus' own family rejected Jesus in Mark 3. It says his family called the authorities on him, believing he was out of his mind. Similarly, sometimes our family isn't kind to us, and Jesus showed us the way. He leaned on a spiritual family where they shared what they had with one another. It was a beautiful response when family seems to fall short. Then last week on Palm Sunday, we looked at the disciples. We saw how even with them, Jesus seemed to say, even the closest people to to me will fail. Even the most trusted religious people don't have this all figured out. What we need is to keep awake, to keep our eyes on Jesus, no one else. No matter how bad things may get, it's all part of the spiritual journey. We go through the struggle, look to see how God is at work in the middle of it, and then more fully unite with God, doing God's will everywhere we can. So all this is just the preface, the groundwork laid for answering this big question, where is Jesus at the end of Mark's gospel? The answer is sure to surprise you. Ralph, our lay leader, is going to read our first scripture from Mark. Uh, We've celebrated Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem for Passover on Palm Sunday. Then Holy Thursday was the mandate to the disciples to love one another and to remember, remember Jesus every time they eat and drink together. Then Jesus is crucified, but three days later on a Sunday, we hear the greatest good news the world has ever heard. Let's listen to the words from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. Hear now the word of the Lord. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. And from Luke chapter 24, 36 through 39, while they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and feet. See that it is I myself. 
Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our eyes to your resurrection. Help us to see and hear you as you really are. Make us wise as we listen for your word to us today. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, Many years ago, I went to visit my uncle down in Memphis, Tennessee. We were actually there for Christmas, and it was a rare chance to spend time with my mom's side of the family, who lived spread out across the whole country. It was memorable for many reasons, but one part of our trip that sticks out for me is visiting Graceland, the home of Elvis Presley. If you've ever been there, there are plenty of surprising things to learn about Elvis Presley on the tour. He bought the place at only 22 years old. He filled it with animals from chickens and donkeys and turkeys to peacocks that had to be given away because they kept pecking and chipping off the paint on all the expensive cars there. Uh, Fans from Australia loved him so much, he had wallabies sent to his house that had to be donated to the zoo. Uh, That actually happened to him twice. Uh, There's even a story of Bruce Springsteen, the New Jersey rock legend, jumping over the walled perimeter, approaching the front door and being stopped by security. He told them he wanted to see Elvis and that he had just been on the cover of Time and Newsweek magazine, but security told him Elvis wasn't home and turned him away. One last detail you'll learn on the tour is that no one is allowed upstairs. It's blocked off and is only accessible to staff and family members. The reason, of course, is because that's where Elvis Presley died. The bedroom is exactly as it was when he died. The bed is made. The last record he listened to is still on the record player, and a styrofoam cup still sits on the bookshelf where he last placed it. For many people, the death of Elvis Presley seemed like nothing short of a hoax. He was only 42, and when an autopsy was done, the preliminary report said he did not have any drugs in his system. But when the full report came out two months later, it said he very much did have drugs in his system. Skepticism was all over, and then there were sightings. Elvis was spotted first at the Memphis airport, then in a window at Graceland. Years later, he was believed to be found as an extra in the movie Home Alone uh, or getting food at Burger King. Uh, See if you can spot Elvis in the background of a photo of Muhammad Ali and Jesse Jackson years after his death. Over and over, these sightings reignited the debate as to whether Elvis truly was alive. People were in denial about his death, and so story after story came out, some who were simply mistaken and others who just wanted the fame and publicity that came with another alleged sighting of the king of rock and roll. How do you know, though? How can you be sure whether it's true or not? These stories led to doubt about what was really happening. And in the Gospel of Mark, we very well may be seeing a similar dynamic. Why would Mark not have a resurrection appearance by Jesus? Was Jesus really raised from the dead? Descartes, the famous philosopher, once said, If you would be a real seeker after truth, it is necessary that at least once in your life you doubt as far as possible all things. 
Perhaps we should doubt the resurrection. Perhaps Mark is trying to teach us a much deeper lesson, and we ignore it because sometimes it may seem uncomfortable for us. We already saw in the last two weeks how Jesus' family did not believe Jesus during his earthly ministry, yet James, the brother of Jesus, is the first bishop of Jerusalem leading the church. How could that be? How does he go from skeptic and doubter to believer? Some would say it was Jesus' resurrection and his appearance to James in 1 Corinthians 15 that not only changed James's mind, but also gave him the authority to lead the church despite his past being a skeptic. After James's death and the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, the question of who would lead the church loomed over everything. Maybe Mark didn't think a family member of Jesus should lead, but neither did he think a disciple of Jesus should lead either. Maybe the doubt was for someone else to be leading. And maybe that's good for the church. Many people claim to have seen Jesus just like the appearances of Elvis, and some may have even claimed the right and authority to lead the church because of these sightings. Perhaps Mark wrote this gospel story in a way that removed these sightings of Jesus because they had become so politicized. He didn't want people to read into the sightings of Jesus as a reason to support one group of leaders over another. So instead, his gospel ends with an angel saying, Go to Galilee, there you will see him. For modern readers, this might make us skeptical. We may even be more doubtful because we don't see Jesus. But if we can rightly understand what Mark is doing, maybe we won't doubt maybe instead we'll have even greater faith. Perhaps the greatest surprise of all is the idea that Mark didn't remove the resurrection experiences altogether. Maybe he simply wove them into the story itself. Go back to Galilee. But when was Jesus in Galilee? He was there in three stories whose details are completely different from all the other miracles in this gospel. The book Why Mark lays out all the rich layers explaining this, but let's go over them together with this idea in mind. What if this is the story of the resurrection of Jesus here? What if go back to Galilee is not about geography, but about the gospel? Go back to the beginning of the story. Read it again. There you will see him. Our first story comes from Mark 4. There's a great storm. Jesus is sleeping in a boat, and the waves are crashing over it. The disciples cry out in fear to Jesus, and he says, Peace, and the storm calms. The disciples are scared, no, not from the waves, but from Jesus. It's like the joke, uh, why did the Easter egg hide? Because he was a little chicken. The disciples are little chickens here because humans can't control the wind and waves. But Jesus can. Turns out they have no reason to fear for their little boat. Even when the world is overwhelming, even when everything is crashing in, Jesus is here. He's here with us, even in our doubt. The next resurrection appearance comes from Mark 6. Jesus has just walked on water. The disciples think they have seen a ghost, and Jesus responds, Do not be afraid. The most bizarre part, though, is... Not that a ghost has just walked on water, but that it says the disciples were astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves. 
wait, what? What do loaves have to do with Jesus walking on water? The story right before this one is about feeding 5,000 people. What did they need to understand about loaves of bread? Many scholars are perplexed on this point, but some say the feeding of the 5,000 wasn't just about giving some hungry people food. It was a sign of communion. It was the body and blood of Jesus given for others. If you know Jesus is raised from the dead, has given his body and blood, and yet has triumphed over sin and death, that changes things, doesn't it? Jesus has done these things for you, for your benefit. When you understand about the loaves, you understand Jesus is alive. Not only did he beat death, he's also at work in each one of us as we commit our lives to God. That's what it means to understand about the loaves. One more resurrection story earlier in the Gospel of Mark is in chapter 9. The most dramatic of them all, the transfiguration. Jesus is in dazzling white, in resurrected glory, is he not? It is the third resurrection story to balance out his three predictions of his death. It occurs on a mountaintop as though this is Mark's way of describing the ascension of Jesus into heaven. It's, it is again occurring in Galilee, just as the other two stories did. Go back to Galilee. Go back and see him raised from the dead. This is compelling evidence that Mark did not simply ignore the resurrection of Jesus, or that Mark told the truth with no bodily resurrection and later gospel writers changed the story. This is Mark recognizing the political reality. People will read into his gospel. They will use what he writes to gain political and religious power, and that is not the good news. So instead, he tucks the resurrection appearances earlier in the gospel. If you are afraid, if you flee in fear like the women at the tomb of Jesus, go back. Go back and read this gospel again where you'll meet Jesus and hear him again, this time in his resurrected state. He'll ask you to lay down your nets, your secular work once again, and instead take up the cause of God. Tell the world of the miracles he's done in your life and how he died for you but he didn't stay dead. He invites all of us to go back and see him again, see his power and the changed lives around him, see his wisdom and the way pursuit of the kingdom changes your life for the better. There's no need to let your skepticism get the best of you. There's no doubt that Jesus can't overcome. Today we celebrate a risen king who has changed countless, countless lives around us, and today he can change your life too. He asks you to believe, yes, to trust him, yes, but he also tells you to have no fear. Jesus is with you today, tomorrow, and forever. You may not be able to see Jesus. You might feel like you got to a difficult moment, to the end of your story, and Jesus didn't show up. But Mark's gospel reminds us he is here. He's been hidden in plain sight even during those difficult seasons. Jesus is here. I see this just about every day in the church. People are hurting because of betrayal or when someone they love can't seem to change. Loved ones get sick or, or people, they, they are just caught up in their doubt. Where are you, Jesus? And God whispers back, 
I've been here all along. I'm here with you in this pain. Sometimes we see Jesus in the people around us when they give us some soup when we're sick or send some words of hope and encouragement at just the right time. But even beyond that, it's those rare moments when we see the world as it really is and sense God's love and care right here, right now, that we know Jesus is resurrected. He lives, and that gives every one of us hope today. Go back and read the gospel again. Re-examine the story of your own life, too, and notice how God's grace has been at work from the beginning. Well, let's end with this. Uh, in Stories for the Journey, there was a professor named Hans who was devastated by the death of his wife. He was so overcome with sorrow that he lost his appetite and never wanted to leave the house. The president of the school he worked at and three other professors went to visit. The grieving professor confessed that he was struggling with doubt. I am no longer able to pray to God, he told them. In fact, I am not certain I believe in God anymore. After a moment of silence, the president said, Then we will believe for you. We will pray for you. And the four men continued to meet with him together, asking God to restore the gift of faith to their friend. Some months later, as they gathered together, Hans smiled and said, It's no longer necessary for you to pray for me. Today, I would like you to pray with me. A miracle had happened. Doubt was gone and faith had been restored. It may seem at times like God is absent, like the resurrection never happened. We can be skeptical of the story of Jesus, but as we pursue truth, may it lead us to a deeper reality, a deeper gospel. Jesus is alive in you. When you love, when you help, even as the journey of life winds its way back and forth, go back to Galilee Read the story again. Re-examine your life and find that the risen Lord was there all along, hidden in plain sight. Amen? Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.